Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. Welcome to Retrotube Archive Television and Accidental Doctor Who Podcast. It's part three of our chat about season five of Doctor Who, and this episode we're dressing as squaddies and descending into the London underground with 1968's Web of Fear. And I promise this really is the final part this time. So next we watched, just to discombobulate your head further, episodes one and four of The Web of Web Fear. Of Web of Fear. This one was a bit more mysterious to me. Mm. Uh, I really loved the book of the Ice Warriors. I really loved the book of the Tomb of the Cybermen. I read the book of the Web of Fear because I remember the cover, but I don't remember much about it, and I didn't stick with me particularly. So it was something I didn't know very much about, and it only got returned almost in full, apart from one missing episode, which there's a bit of a political thing around that. It still exists somewhere, but it got sold on to a private collector, apparently. Who's being awesome? It got mislaid, so... Web of Fear 3 doesn't exist in the archives, but it seems to be around somewhere. But anyway, most of it got written in 2013, so I watched it only a few years ago for the first time. So unlike The Ice Warriors and unlike Tomb of Cybermen, it wasn't a big thing that I was building up to, looking forward to. It didn't have much resonance as of, of you know, one of the greats or, or, or one that particularly grabbed my imagination when I was little. It was just more of a fairly standard monster run around in the book do you know what it made me think of and it's quite apt considering you know the the couple of podcast shout outs that you did it reminds me of the yeti episode (laughs) that's all i could think of (laughs) the whole way through the yeti uh yes i can't take yeti seriously not only does it make not only do yetis make me think of the yeti episode of the goon show it makes me think of and I guess you won't have seen this, but there is uh, an episode of The Goodies, and it's not the BBC version, it's the one season they did with LWT, which is about Bigfoot. Right. Graham does a brilliant impression of Arthur C. Clarke doing a documentary. Um, it turns out that Bigfoot is actually Tim, but with a giant foot. Right. Just uh, because, because he walks so much during the day, his foot swells up so much at night. Uh, and then he sleepwalks and becomes Bigfoot. So any mention of Yetis and Bigfoot and anything like that, those are the only two things that I can ever think of. So I don't think this episode, was this story was actually aimed at me in any way, shape or form, because I just giggled through the whole thing. Probably shouldn't have. No, possibly possibly not, but it's it's a response. It's allowed. Also, this is, this is a rather remarkable fact, but particularly considering, you know, modern Doctor Who especially uh this is the fifth season of doctor who this is only the fourth story set on contemporary earth Ooh. the fourth story ever there's been moments in other sto- 
stories that like the very first episode is contemporary yes. earth but it, it's generally considered part of the four they go to the cavemen so that's that's generally considered the same story but as ones that from beginning to end are in contemporary earth we've only had planet of the giants the war machines and the faceless ones before this and this is this is number four john pertwee as well which we'll get to that a lot of his stories were set on contemporary earth so it, it's one of the doctor who mainstays we think of it now it's the Doctor and some squaddies and some officers firing guns at monsters and that, but this is this is the first occasion of it. Well, there you go. So this having been one that I knew very little about and actually cared little, very little about, it's a web of fear and yetis, they're so cuddly. They are so cuddly. Look they a bit so silly. Cute. I thought this was absolutely magnificent. Did you? Yes. Yeah. I, uh... But you... You didn't. It's, no, it's not that I didn't. I was just... It was just paced so weirdly. I didn't really understand what was going on. Mm. Um, because, again, it felt like it all started in the middle of a scene or the middle of a story. Yes. So I was meant to already know who everybody was. There was no setting up of anything in any scene. It was just these people are here having a big rant about a thing and then there are these soldiers who are randomly turning up who are also having a big rant about a thing and I don't know who they are and I don't know who the soldiers are. I don't know what's I don't I don't know what's going on. And then and then it starts off in the TARDIS which is which is in the middle of trying to do a crack of, of having some kind of a crash landing. And Victoria is wearing a really, really short skirt, despite having said in the last episode how crude and vulgar it was that the other women were wearing mini dresses. Like what I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Send help. In this one, when she does show off the short skirt, Jamie, who's no longer in the fibre chair, he doesn't care at all. That she's he doesn't give one. He really shopping. doesn't care. And then, and then she goes and puts a mini dress on and she's like, what do you think of my dress? And he's like, yeah, whatever you wear in the dress, I don't care. The stuff in the TARDIS is a direct continuation from Enemy of the World. But I like the fact that the stuff on Earth we're thrown in midway through the situation. So we're not supposed to know who any of these characters are. It is all like... This is the very first time we've met these characters, so we're not actually being thrown in to the middle of anything, really. But I like that they've started the story. There's already an emergency going on in London. It's already deserted. There's already been some kind of disaster. They're talking about some officer who has died, uh, Captain Knight. He's talking to the journalist who is a Michael Palin character. Are you an actor? Jory's still out. His name's Harold (laughs) Chorley, which I think is a great name. I, uh, I used to live in Chorley, in fact. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, worked for many years in Chorley. Yes, he's he's not literally a Michael Palin character, but he very no. much looks like one. He's got the horn-rimmed glasses and the, the um, brill-creamed side parting. Yes, and he wants to tame hard rocks. Yes, he, he, should, he doesn't talk like that, but he should talk like that, shouldn't he, and be very... <laughs> and finally, Captain Knight, could you tell us your own feelings about Colonel Pemberton? Well... He was certainly a brave soldier, there's no doubt about that. He gave his life for his country and I was proud to serve under him. That all right? Oh, super sterling stuff. You're talking pure quotes, old boy. Not just quotes, (laughs) Mr Chorley. I meant what I said. No, I thought this one was great. Yeah. I thought it it looked like a film. It looked like a feature film. It was so well directed and so well lit. This is uh, the director of this is uh, a guy called Douglas Camfield. And he is generally considered by most people as being the best 
director on original Doctor Who, old Doctor Who. I can see that. Whenever there's a Douglas Camfield one, you think, ah, oh, yes, this is this is going to be really good. And the other two we watched, very TV, but this one's very filmic. And particularly that opening scene in the guy's house. What's his yeah, name? So it's, um, it's the collector, Professor Julius Trump. Silverstein. Oh. So, yeah. It's gone to harangue Julius Silverstein. Yeah, that does that does feel like a, an old film. Th- that, it's like a 1930s yeah, horror yeah. film. Like the lighting, it's not studio lighting, it's very excellent lighting. It's got the... And, and the character, when you compare it to the... Particularly in Tomb of the Cybermen, the character Julius Silverstein, who's this sort of elderly Jewish uh, antiques dealer, compared to the actors in Brownface and Tomb of the Cybermen, he, he just feels like a real person. What are you doing here? Looking for Oh. You're supposed to be meeting me. Was I? At the airport. Mm. Father, what is the matter? You send me a cable saying you're in grave trouble and I have flown half the way around trouble. the world. Trouble, yes. Great deal of trouble. It's that thing. Yeti. <laughs> you're a stupid old fool, Julius Silverstein. Oh, me the fool. You would like me to be the fool and give you back my jetty, huh? Well, you must, man. Don't you understand? It's dangerous. Hmm. For 30 years it stands here in my museum, and now he tells me it is dangerous. Oh, I wish I'd never brought it back from Tibet. Father, what has happened? Well, he won't listen to me. This silly old goat won't listen to me. I've told him, warned him. Damn it, he knows it's a robot. So they feel feel like film characters. They're played much more subtly, and they're written much more subtly. The dialogue is so much better... And then they use the music. The music is Bella Bartok's Music for Strings, Percussion and Celesta. No. Which is really surreally uh, is used in The Shining. That's the only only the second time I've ever seen the episode one, episode one of Web of Fear. And I've seen The Shining lots and lots and lots. Mm. It's very disconcerting hearing music from The Shining in Doctor Who. I feel like it would be like one of your favourite things. Mm. It, yeah, it, it adds it adds to that movie thing. It makes it, and it's shot on sixteen millimeter film as well. But it just all adds up to making it feel like a nineteen thirties horror movie, like The Cat People. Yeah, or something like that. That's kind of brought out a lot more after like the giant row that Professor Travers and whatever his name is. Julius Silverstein. Silverstein, after Travers leaves. And then you see the sphere that he's been banging on about. It turns up at the window, which is so eerie. I wrote down, a huge ball bearing just looked in the window. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are you guys doing? Let me in. I forgot <laughs> my key. <laughs> 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 that is actually what it says it just wants dreamies um (laughs) we all want dreamies (laughs) i don't know what that means it just sounded cheeky oh yeah one thing one more thing i wanted to say about the the that scene with julius silverstein and professor travers and Anne travers is also the acting they're they're not projecting no they're not thespians yelling in a boxy set no they're just like having. she's so used to 60s doctor who it's all these theater actors projecting yeah i think this this may be like film actors yeah this, this this may be a thing where you and i will not have the same experience because i obviously don't have very much of doctor who in my sphere of knowledge or any 
any BBC dramas, to be fair. Mine is mostly either American shows or ITC shows. So You're an ITC girl. I am an ITC girl. So I am already used to this yes that's the thing that the these film shows they don't yeah they don't do that acting do no, they? they do proper they, film, they don't film they don't acting. it's just it, it's a lot it's a lot more natural and this is probably the, the glossiest if that's the word that we can use on early doctor who this is probably the glossiest of them no i think i think you're right um it feels you can feel the quality yeah you can it does feel a little bit more like a black and white man uncle episode right do, do you know what i mean Mm. So yeah, it is. You can you can definitely tell there's been there's been a leap. Yeah, like I say, I kind of wish that I had seen more of the Web of Fear so that I could get a handle on it better. I mean, you can still before I spoke about it. I mean, I know I can still, and I probably will. But just like now, my my current knowledge of it yes. is probably not enough to like speak too authoritatively on it no i mean that's my job that is your job why don't i'm just gonna shut up and let you monologue at me for a bit <laughs> no no you, you, you i just want you to talk about yeah what you experienced with it what your uh yeah your, your takeaway of uh the actual thing on in front of you i think maybe not maybe not sort of while i was watching it because as I've said many many times i am one of these people who when you tell me that i'm in a world i'm in a world so i'm yes I'm not sort of comparing it to anything else, but thinking of it back, there it does. Our genre of movie that I am big on is the 1930s Universal horror. Yes, and there is very much feeling of that when the Yeti comes to life. Yes, I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. Just the 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 way it was filmed of, of the Yeti, sort of like his eyes glowing, and then the, the close up on Mister Silverstein. Yes. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. <laughs> Your man there. Um, like, as as he was being squished or chomped or whatever it was that the Yeti was doing, because we don't actually get to see what they... what it Squished, I think, with their what big it did. paws. Oh, poor paws. Yeah, it's just an over-enthusiastic cuddle. Big cuddles. Yeah. And we've all been there. Um, it was really well shot, and it was really atmospheric of that sort of like early early horror oblique film noir kind of feel i don't know if that's what it was aiming for but it's certainly what it got i think it could well have been mm. because obviously a yeti fits in well with the universal horror thing of there being the the iconic monsters like your dracula and your frankenstein and that yeah and your mummy now I think a yeti. I don't know if they ever did yetis. They didn't but do yetis. That, that certainly fits in with it. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly goes well in with the with the monster theme. Yeah, I think it's the one regular Doctor Who monster that isn't a Doctor Who only monster. It's one that's in the way that obviously Daleks and Cybermen are Doctor Who's own things. This is a this is that. I wonder if also the acting's a bit better because even when you're out of that bit and you get into the the army characters, the acting and the characterization, the dialogue is is so much better as well. But I wonder if a part, part of that as well is that they're not doing space acting. Yeah. I wonder if sort of the fact that it's we are in space now, we are in the future, so we talk like this and we proclaim things and we do Flash Gordon acting. And what is it like? Even though no one's told them to do that, I wonder if it's like a subtle psychological thing. Because nobody in the future has normal conversations. I think you're right because there's. It feels 
more chatty rather than dialogue Feels more real. Yeah, I think so. I'm, the, all of my notes are, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one, one really good bit that I liked was after they landed in Covent Garden tube station, because of course they landed in Covent Garden, because why not? The Doctor says, funny, isn't it, how we keep landing on your Earth? I mean, honestly, what for, for? <laughs> yes. And I thought Jamie was so cute in this when <laughs> when they were in the tube station. And, like, he found he found the train tracks and he went, oh, it's a sort of trench. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is a sort of trench. Bless his little woolly son. I know. Oh. Would you believe they're all sets? What? They're not actually filming them in the tube. No, that's that's actual sets. Actual they're amazing. Sets. They are really, really good, really well made. That may be the best Doctor Who has ever looked outside of an actual location. Yeah, I think so. I genuinely thought that, like, they just found disused tube sections. Yeah, one of the ghost stations. Yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah, no, I... I I, I had assumed it was until I read otherwise. And I think you can, once you know, you can hear the sound of their footsteps does sound more, more like a soundstage than a, an actual concrete floor. It does sound more like wood. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite astounding work. It is. It is. It's, it's really well done. Um, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite surprised at that. This is going to sound weird. But I like the way they found the dead man at the newspaper Oh, yeah, stand. that's really creepy, isn't it? Yeah, who was covered in what they thought was cobwebs. Mm, yeah, the dead um, newspaper seller outside. And, the... it was, and I especially, I, espe- I loved the fact that the bulletin board next to him said, London flee, many spreads. I thought that was such a, so good at atmosphere building because... They haven't got a clue what what London's fleeing from or what menace it is that's spreading or how long that man's been there. It's just it was just such a great, scary, creepy ah moment. Isn't it? Yeah. And whereas the other two stories we watched are quite pulpy mm. and the deaths are quite pulpy. Like when the characters die, it's like, oh that character oh, well. is like, oh, oh dear what shame of mine. But this, this one, is much more. Yeah, this is much more of a horror, much more of a horror film thing to it. Like when we get to episode four, the deaths are a lot more horrible. They are. They are horrible. You, you feel them a lot more. Yeah, you really do. Like the um, we're jumping forward a bit, but like that kid who goes into the tunnel with the sergeant. Yes. And then they both disappear into the web, and then they both scream, and and the comedy Welshman pulls the guy out, and he's dead. Dead, and it's yeah, it's really grim. And, and yeah, he pulls his mask off and. It's all covered in, well, in the fungus. Yeah. It's yeah. It's pretty grim. And then it's it's also interspersed with yetis, so obviously I'm giggling away. So it's some <laughs> weird set of feelings. Weird set of feelings. Victoria's going to have PTSD at this rate. Easily. She's seen all these violent deaths, and now she's finding random corpses. You know, these horrible corpses. Yeah falling over and she's shrieking and looking terrified. Poor lass is going to need therapy. She is going to need therapy. I mean, like, you know, there's only so much cheering up that a new wardrobe will do. <laughs> One of my best bits in this episode was uh, when Jamie said to her, be quiet, let's go. And then they set off and Victoria walks into a cobweb and she screams. Yes, and, goes, Ooh. And, <laughs> and then she goes, do you think they hurt? <laughs> Later on, I don't know who says this, but it's to Anne Travers. It was either the journalist or 
a soldier. I can't remember. I can't remember who says it. But basically, he turns into Shake from Hard Day's Night and says, "What's a pretty girl like you doing in a job like this?" Oh yes, I think that's um, I think that's Captain Knight's bad attempt at flirting. Yes, and she says, "Well, when I was a little girl, I thought I'd like to be a scientist, so I became a scientist." Sass. I was like, yes! yes, that was a really good exchange. <laughs> Come on. How's it going? Just fine. What's a girl like you doing in a job like this? Well, when I was a little girl, I thought I'd like to be a scientist, so I became a scientist. Just like that. Just like that. What's a pretty girl like you doing in a place like this? That's, that's literally all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's in the Queen. That's an enjoyable. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what are you up to? Page five. Yeah, she's a really good character, Anne Travers. Daughter of Professor. It gets a bit confusing because Anne Travers is playing the daughter of Professor Travers, but Professor Travers is played by Deborah Watling's actual father. What? So he is, he is actually Victoria's father. But what? In this, he's he's Anne's father, so it's a bit confusing. Adam, Adam, I'm sorry, my brain wasn't wasn't right for the majority of this. Just you, <laughs> why you had to have another layer onto me? What? And, and just just to add another layer, this is a sequel to a previous story that had taken place like 20 or 30 years before featuring the same character so Professor Travers is also aged up so that's not what he looked like he was a lot younger than that but he's got a stick on beard and he's made to be like an old man but he's he's playing that character later in life that we'd already met him before well wait, 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 wait. hang on where did we meet him before oh we didn't but it, th- that one's missing sadly there's a one before this called the Abominable Snowman so this is the so he was in, second time he was in that yeah, so was, as a younger man. So was this... I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you're really going to have to explain this to me like I'm five. <laughs> so the, the the Abominable Snowman, was this like originally a William Hartnell one? No, this was earlier the same season. Oh, so... Just like two or three stories back. So this is the second well, time uh, De- Debbie Watling's got to act with her dad. Wait. But it, in that case, he was playing a younger man and now he's playing an older version of the same character in... So that wasn't set in the contemporary England. That was set in the 20s or 30s. Right, okay. But, okay, I think. So it's it's all a bit kaleidoscopic. I, that's certainly one word for it. So, oh. <laughs> I've broken Heather. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I feel like I'm I'm, I'm trying to pretend like oh, this is all right, but I'm not I'm not doing it very convincingly. Um, <laughs> cannot compute, cannot compute. <laughs> destruct, destruct. Yes, that's right. I knew there was a reason that I identified with the Daleks. <laughs> I think this is the very first appearance of that Doctor Who mainstay, the Squaddy. The Squaddy. There are lots and lots of Squaddies in this, and there are lots of lots of Squaddies in Doctor Who. It makes it feel a lot like it. It, it feels very Nigel Neal. It feels like Quatermass and the Pit, and it's very John Wyndham as well. How's that? The the um the web, the fungal web covering everything is very John Wyndham. It is. I'm saying that, but I don't know who John Wyndham is. I, I just he ignore wrote me. Day of the Triffids. Oh, 
another thing I've not seen yet. Yeah, he wrote Day of the Triffids, Midwich Cuckoos, aka Village of the Damned. He wrote The Kraken Wakes. All of these things I've never seen. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm finding this so so relatable. I probably heard of it, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting. I'm getting. I'm just no. I'm just pretending that I'm braining. <laughs> I'm just like try. I, I'm trying so hard here. <laughs> We're coming up for coming three, up hours. three hours. Heather, Heather started to malfunction. <laughs> I think I need to plug back in. Um, yeah, no, I need to. I need to unplug you for a while just to let you cool down a bit. <laughs> that is literally what's happening. Probably going to need to shovel some coal into me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'll open the window. It ends with Jamie and Victoria lying about the fact that they were on their own yes. Uh, so that the Doctor doesn't get captured. But what they're really trying to find out is, is there anybody else in the tunnels? Because they're going to blow up the Blooming Tunnels. And the D- Blooming Doctor's in the Blooming Tunnels. He is. And he's going to blooming get blown up. Yes. And he does get blown up because, you know, it all explodes and he sort of gets blasted away and does dramatic ag-ing. And then the credits go up. And then I don't know what happens... For two whole episodes. <laughs> well, the, the, it's been covered with webs. The the explosives have been covered with webs by the Yeti, so that kind of cushions the explosion. So he's all right, really. Oh right, okay. Well, that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know. So he doesn't come out with his face all black and his hair standing up on end like a brush. Bad times. Uh, but the, 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 there are more episodes for that. I'm quite sure. Then we go into episode four, where the Yeti has got the Professor, and it looks like there's more than one Yeti. And it turns out there are lots more than one Yeti. I wanted to skip to episode four, because episode three is missing, and episode two doesn't really have the Doctor in it. Oh. Oh, like in that episode of the Time Meddlers. Yes, he's having a bit of a day off and that one. He's on holiday. Fair enough. So he's not really in it. And I wanted you to meet a particular character. Oh, who did you want me to who meet? Who isn't really in it. He, he doesn't get introduced till episode three. Right. But of course, episode three isn't there. So we have to meet him properly in episode four. And I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with uh, Lethbridge Stewart. I don't know if I'm familiar with him either. Who did he play? Was he the colonel? He, he was Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. He is the man with the moustache and yes. the Scottish hat. I am aware of him. He has been a baddie in everything. Yes, he was in Avengers playing a military character. I remember seeing years ago an episode of that. Yeah, he's in... Oh, he's just a baddie in everything. He's just a baddie in everything. He's a baddie. Nicholas Courtney, the much-loved Nicholas Courtney. We all love Nicholas Courtney here. We do, yes. Uh, So this is the first appearance of... Probably the longest-running non-Doctor character. Longest-running character in Doctor Who who isn't the Doctor. It's mostly known as the Brigadier, but here he's still just a colonel. So this is his first appearance, but he he becomes a very long-running, beloved character. That's so weird, because honestly, the whole episode, I was expecting him to be a baddie. Because he's been the baddie in everything. Uh, he's been set up here as a villain or a potential villain. Mm. What I love about this story as well is that it's a bit of a whodunit. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's quite a thriller element, which is really nice because it ties in so well with the with the monster horror kind of feel of episode one. And also, the other thing about old Doctor Who's, and you get it you know, in things like Earthshock and all these stories, Revenge of the Cybermen, there's... Often a character who is a traitor to the humans, he's working, and it is usually a he, not always, but usually it's a he, working for the aliens, he's a traitor to the humans, and you always know who it is because it's the most shifty and uh, unlikable character of all. 
So there's no mystery to it. We know it's we know it's this one. We know it's Ringway, and so it becomes a thing. You you know exactly who it's going to be. But in this, it's a mystery. Like you somebody really don't know because everybody seems a bit shifty. Yeah, that's it. Is it? Is it comedy Welshman Evans? Of course he's called Evans because he's the comedy Welsh squaddy. Yes. Amazingly, he's not played by Talfrin Thomas. He's played by Derek Pollitt. Maybe maybe Talfrin Thomas was just on holiday that day or sick or he's probably in The Persuaders. I guess there's just more than one actor who does comedy Welsh characters. We've got Derek Pollitt too. I think it's... Imagine there being more and more Welshman. <laughs> I think he's extremely good in this. He's great. He's great. He's a... he's very good at being in the same way that um, somebody like Roy Kinnear is good at it. He's good at being simultaneously comic relief and shifty. Yeah. And potentially a villain. Yeah. There, there is something a little... But also being the comedy character. A little sinister about him. And we're definitely supposed to think... He's he's like a strong suspect. Yeah, it's like, he is he through the, most of the episode. Is he the yeah. yeah. My father didn't want it put together until this was in proper order. Be wise. Let's have a look at this. Oh, yes, yes. My word, this is a splendid piece of work, Anne. Thank you. Yes, this should control the sphere, all right, but will it override the commands issued by the intelligence, I wonder? No, no, I'm afraid it won't. I just didn't have the time. Do you think we can do it? We can do it if you've got the right bits and pieces. Hope I'm not disturbing, Doctor, but staff asked me to give you this. Wish we had this. On the floor by that young lad Weems, it was. But this is what brought the Yeti to the explosive store. It's obviously been reprogrammed as a homing device and you've given it to me. Yeah. You don't think I had anything to do with these yet, did you? And particularly when, like, it's the, the tin is empty and the doctor's... Oh, like, God, I love that Evans. bit. I love that bit. Yeah. There is a bit before all of this happens. There's stuff happening. People are, you know, the, the doctor and the other two are in one part of the tube network and the soldiers are in another part of the tube network. And then all of a sudden... For no apparent reason, the soldiers all just start playing a game of Mornington Crescent. <laughs> it takes up most of the episode, this game of Mornington Crescent. They never even end up at Mornington Crescent. Yeah, it's either that or, or the big massacre stroke shootout with the Yeti takes up quite a long time as well. Oh yeah, that takes up another five minutes. In fact, most of my notes in, in this are huge Yeti and soldier fight. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I'll call him the Brigadier. I mean, we know him as the Brigadier. He's not. He's the he's Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. But the bit, yeah, like his whole squad gets wiped out, and that's quite bleak. That is quite bleak, and he was so caught up about it, like mm. unusually, because obviously, as in the last sort of two stories, and in most sixties things, when a group of people die, it's oh dear, that's too bad. Oh well, never mind. Let's carry on with the story. But in this. In this bit, it's like, oh, my God, all my men have died. And everybody's like, oh, whoa, that's really heavy, man. And that final scene of this episode where he comes back and and he comes in looking grim and he says, they've gone. And Victoria says, all of them. And he says, all of them. And then they say to Evans, how about you? He says, yeah, they, my team have all gone. And it's just this realization that everyone they were with and like the guy the doctor was with was killed as well yeah they've all died and yeah and like you say it's a, particularly in doctor who like as i was saying earlier like that the deaths of the minor characters has no effect at all but this really hits and that like that they're, they're all dead yeah it's a really unusual and effective scene and then it builds and then they discover that the the yetis are being attracted by to, to, by these big meeples these board game pieces that they kept they like have stashed in their pockets 
the brigadier finds one in his pocket. And yeah, after this quite heavy scene, and then they discover that, and then immediately these two Yeti burst in. They've got Professor Travers. Yeah, rather vacant-looking, sinister-looking Professor Travers with them. That must have been nightmare fuel for the kiddies. It must have been. Actually, one of the things I wrote down is it feels like a grown-up drama. Yeah. This one. Unlike the other two, which feel like Doctor Who runarounds, this feels like a, gr- a drama for grown-ups. It does feel like the Quatermass experiment or something like that. Yeah. Now then, come along, and let's get down to work. Where did I put those bits and pieces? I wish I knew yeah. who put them in the captain's pocket. Well, it must have been Charlie. Well, look, he left ages ago. It doesn't matter. But... Are you all right? What's happened? Colonel, what happened? Gone. Well, not all of them. All of them? I said so, didn't I? All of them. Evans, what about your party? Arnold? Gone, sir. Captain Knight, too. Knight? Hopeless. Can't fight them. Seems... Indestructible. You can't fight them. You were right, Doctor, when you said they were formless, shapeless. You were right. Listen. Listen, everyone. It's the other Yeti model. It's here. It's somewhere in this room. Noise. I've been hearing it on and off. Your pockets. What? Open your pockets, Colonel. Quickly, quickly. Come on. That's it. How? They bring the Yeti. I've only got silly notes, really. Um, <laughs> we can do it if you've got the right bits and pieces. <laughs> that is a silly note. <laughs> ah, yes, that was that was a good line. Um, then, <laughs> I, I wrote. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even get this out, I'm feeling too giggly. Um, some of the Yetis have guns, brackets, some of the milkmen are very old. What's that a reference to? Um, you know, the Monty Python milkman sketch, before it goes into the funniest joke, the joke that kills people. Of course, yes, it's Carol Cleveland abducting milkmen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very tangential, even for you. I know. I was telling you my brain was going in weird places. Uh, (laughs) The effects subtitles was rhythmic thumping, which made me laugh. (laughs) Um, It doesn't take much, does it? It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you'd be so disappointed if, if something like that happened and I didn't giggle. Um, yeah, this is true, it just looks stony. <laughs> I know. Oh, the Doctor just needs one more component for whatever he's working on. The Yetis come in and the Doctor tries beating him up at the adorably because his little arms are going hell for leather. <laughs> oh, yes. That's such a cute right little coming, fighting scene. It was <laughs> very reminiscent of most of most Robin Hood episodes where Much tries be- beating people up. Oh, yeah. There was there was it, it was a very Troughton esque moment. Is he David Troughton's son? Yes. He looks like he's got the big David Troughton eyes. He has, yeah, but very much Patrick's mannerisms, which is so weird. I mean, it's not weird at all because obviously they're related. Yes, I like the bit where the Doctor talks about his time space machine and Captain Knight is like. Pfft 
space, time space machine, lol. <laughs> Whatever. A police Dan. box, I don't think so, pal. Yeah, probably the ah. other one. But but Lethbridge Church instantly believes him. Yeah, it's not it's, even this, like. Uh, it's, it's not even like, well, it sounds a little bit funny, but mm, all right, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It's just instantly, yep, sounds legit. Okay, let's go for it. Let's. Uh... Which is a, a huge contrast to how they'd write his character later. If he gets, he gets, ends up on alien plants and goes, no, no, it's just Chroma. <laughs> I mean, that's understandable. Uh, <laughs> it's just Chroma. I love it. Yeah, he's quite an icy character in this. He's he's quite he's very dark and efficient and yeah, very. What's the word? Military. He's very military. Yeah, he seems extremely competent and no nonsense. But once he becomes a regular, he is much more like the slightly bumbling military sidekick for the Doctor. Which is a bit of a shame, really, because I think he's really good in this. I mean, he's generally really good anyway, but I think Nicholas Courtney enjoyed playing him as a bit more of a a comedy foil. Yeah. Rolling his eyes at the Doctor. Oh, Doctor. No. He's much more... He plays it much more of the um, John Watson sort of character. I see. So there's definitely a Holmes and Watson thing going on with the the Doctor and... Oh, I love that. Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah, it's very entertaining. But tell me, Doctor, this intelligence, exactly what is it? Well, I wish I could give you a precise answer. Perhaps the best way to describe it is a sort of formless, shapeless thing floating about in space like a cloud of mist, only with a mind and will. What's it after? What's it want? Mm, I wish I knew. The only thing I know for sure is that it brought me here. Brought you here? Yes, been wondering how you got here. Yes, but I, I don't think there's any harm in, in telling you now. I, I have a craft that travels in time and space. Oh, come now, Doctor, you can't uh, explain this- craft of yours, this time-space craft. Could it get us out of here? Uh, yes, but it's at Covent Garden. What does it look like? It's a police box. Don't really kill you. So, if we could rescue that craft, you could take us out? Yes. Yes, I could, but I, I have to stay here and finish Trevor's work. Yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah. But as ever, Troughton's absolutely mesmerised. I think particularly his best scene, other than that final scene when they realise everyone's dead, and he stops playing it for laughs at that point as well. He's, yeah. he's really acting in the, in the role. But I really like the scene in the first episode when the TARDIS gets suspended in space and covered in cobwebs, which is quite a surreal scene. Yeah. But he really plays up to the mystery of that. He gets the big close-ups and, yeah, you could just watch him for hours doing this stuff. He's great. Yes, have I mentioned at any point that I love Patrick Troughton? You hadn't mentioned that, but now you have. I'm glad to hear it, considering <laughs> you just watched six episodes. Yes, he's great. He really is. Because, obviously, I've missed episodes two and three, even though everybody seems to have missed episode three. I didn't... I, it took me until pretty much the end of episode four me, for me to realise that the, the reason that the Doctor and Jamie and Victoria were kind of suspended in space was because of the fungus and the intelligence. It really took an awful lot of putting pieces together for me, which it took it took a lot. It took a lot. I think I'm possibly sorry, if you hadn't this... already been bamboozled by watching two episodes from two other stories immediately before, you might have been a bit in a slightly fresher place to uh, have coped with it. I mean, I might not have. Let's be fair, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> 
So out of the three, I mean, you can tell from my enthusiasm which one I like the best. Out of yes. the three, which one did you like the best? I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, because, I, I mean, I, I think possibly The Ice Warrior is my, was my least favourite. It's a bit straightforward, isn't it? A bit yeah, standard. Yeah, and kind of, well, it just very little happened. But it happened slowly. It, very, very little, little happened, happened, but it happened slowly. It, it did, it did. Um, I mean, Cleggy was in it, so that's always great news. The baddies were very, very whispery. And they talked very slowly. They also chased very slowly. Yes. I don't know how anybody was ever caught by It was probably written as four episodes, but they talked so slowly it ended up as six. Yeah, I think that's basically what happened. So, yeah, the Ice Warriors was my worst. I would have liked to have seen all of the Tomb of the Cybermen. I think I probably would have ended up really liking that as a whole. But I think the characters that weren't the three main characters were just pretty obnoxious, all of them. They're just quite dull. Yeah. Um, so I think I think probably the Web of Feel was, was the best of the three, but I didn't get to... I, I missed too much of it to catch up with. I think... That would have been my favourite if I'd, if I'd have seen all three stories completely. Yeah, so I should have just done... Web of Fear and not bothered with the other two. That's what I'm telling you, but I've, it's not <laughs> which, my which business. I'm, I'm sad to admit was my original plan, but I wanted to give you an overview of season five. I mean, I got, I certainly got that. You certainly got that. There was a lot of uh, season five happening for me. <laughs> yeah, will you be pleased to hear that I have planned two more Patrick Troughton stories before Yay! we move on to uh, John Pertwee, and they will be complete stories next time or oh, uh, we'll, we'll be watching all, all the episodes here on in so this was a bit of an experiment because you have to sometimes yes i mean it's not like the experiment didn't work because i, I enjoyed everything that we watched it's just <laughs> i liked it but i don't quite know what happened is what i'm saying so do you think there will be a chance considering especially how much you enjoy patrick Troughton, that you will go back and watch any of these stories in full I definitely will because you know a Patrick Troughton and also B Fraser Hines who I I'm quite fan of as well. He's very good. Because yeah, and the he, two of them together. He's secretly my best friend and has been since I was seven. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, you know, honestly, <laughs> it's because it was such a lovely memory and um, like one of one of the few great things of of being little that I remember. I kind of want to tell people about this a lot. Like, oh my goodness, there was a time that I, that I met Joe off of Joe Sugden off of Emmerdale Farm, and I'm like, I can't tell anybody that because that's really dull and nobody cares about Emmerdale Farm. But I didn't know until like, like I say, really recently, like in this past year, I think. Wow. That Fraser Hines was was in Doctor Who. So I so like I could have spent all of these years saying I've met one of the Doctor Who companions. You've met Jamie out of Doctor Who. You've met the best one. I know, I have. And he's lovely and I adore him. I think he's pretty much the longest running companion as well, maybe. I think he was maybe in it for the longest. Apparently so. Apparently so. The on, the only other actors who have been in more episodes were the four original doctors wow so yeah so he's 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 a longer standing character than even some of the later doctors mm. well thank you for watching and indulging me with this slightly arduous and torturous <laughs> and tortuous experiment it was it was neither arduous nor tortuous it was just confusing <laughs> 
Luckily, we won't be doing anything like this again in the near future. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, Watching multiple episodes of a science fiction show and then talking about them at length. We would no, not. Sir. We would not do that. We would not uh, do that uh, to uh, you. Uh, or ourselves. Or Hannah. Poor Hannah. Hannah won't mind. She's fine. She won't mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. No. It's been. It's been an absolute joy. It's always Good. joy. I'm glad. It's a joy to watch Doctor Who and then talk about it with you. We're on. Ne- we're on three hours and twenty. So take us out of this hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you ever so much for sharing so much Second Doctor with me, and mm-hmm. uh, thank you everybody who has managed to drag themselves through these episodes it's been a lot of fun for us we have laughed a lot if you would like to get in touch with us you are more than welcome to our twitter account is at retro underscore tube and our email address is retrotubepodgmail.com we are always more than happy to hear from you and we are pretty good at getting back to you as well so we'll give it a whirl see what happens and yeah that's it that's it i'm done i'm done i got my brain just died about an hour ago so uh have you got the last word podcasts it's the devil's work <laughs>